So let's start with the word of prayer and uh, we'll get into our Bible study here this evening. Lord, we are individuals that are thankful that you are uh, one who's involved in what's going on, that uh, we are not left to our own devices and works, uh, but that you participate and help uh, in getting things accomplished, that uh, you have a plan uh, both for now and uh, for the future. And as we look at your word, may we understand a little bit of how that process works. So we love you, Lord. We thank you for uh, giving us your word and giving us light. And as we fellowship together before your throne, may we see some of these requests answered again uh, as uh, we bring them to you. So we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Find your Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 4. As we've been going through the parables in our study here and working our way through generally chronologically through the parables as Jesus went through his ministry it really is not something that he did that much until the middle of his ministry when he was rejected by the Pharisees who were the leaders of the nation of Israel and they had claimed that he was doing miracles by Beelzebub uh, the uh, father of uh, the devils and uh, that and so the prince of devils and so they rejected him and at that point christ began to talk in parables and we'd entered into a section in matthew 13 that is known as the kingdom parables there's eight of them in there and uh, started off with the parable of the soils it's known as the sower but there's four soils that are really the important aspect of those uh, parables uh, that parable for you to understand what's going on how people receive the word of god and I was, uh, in my uh, thinking ahead, was thinking that I would probably be on the next one that was on the docket in Matthew chapter 13, and that was the parable of the tares. However, if you look at uh, any sort of chronological Bible, you will find that many people put a parable in Mark in the middle of all those eight kingdom parables that you find in Matthew chapter 13 this is the one that is there in mark chapter 4. Uh, this is a unique parable that we're going to look at the parable of the growing seed as you see in your notes there this is the only parable that is found exclusively in the gospel of mark okay a lot of these parables are in all three you get a few that are exclusively marks a few that are exclusively matthews some that are just exclusively luke's but in general you can you know look at one and look at another and look at all three of them and put them together in the different gospels but this one is unique just to mark and when you think about um, mark he's not a man who's given too much speeches by jesus it's part of his purpose of why he wrote his book so you go through and you think through the four Gospels. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got Matthew that says Jesus is king. Luke that would tell us that Jesus is man. It emphasizes that aspect. Uh, John is uh, emphasizing that Jesus is God. You get to Mark and he's emphasizing what? He's a servant. And as such, you don't really care what a servant says. You care what a servant says does you don't want an individual who's supposed to be working for you talking all the time 
And so it is as you go through the Gospel of Mark, it's not, uh, if you have a red letter edition of your Bible, you look at it and there's less there than you have in the other Gospels where there's lots of speeches. Uh, You just got a lot of activity one thing after another after another. And uh, as you look at it, you have the, the statement immediately, immediately, or straightway, or non in the, the uh, version that you may be using. And uh, you find the statement over and over again where it's just action and activity. And when it comes to the set of parables that we have in Matthew, there's eight of them. When you come here, there's only three in this same time. Uh, we find that this uh, parables, uh, as your note says, is found in a series of parables similar, similar to the parables of the kingdom found in Matthew chapter 13. However, only two of those parables appear here. I will say this, when it comes to some of the stories in the gospel, you do have sometimes Jesus telling a story in two different locations. Yeah, you, you sometimes have that happen, uh, and there's a few occasions where you can tell that to be the case. You go, why was that? Because you tell a story in one location, people would be different at the next location. There was no radio, there was no television, there was no internet, there was no ability to have that story passed on, and so the Lord sometimes would tell the same story uh, in a different format. This, I believe, was given at the same time as the ones in Matthew because in the middle of these parables you have the discussion of why was Jesus talking in parables. He said, Matthew 13, when Jesus starts this, the disciples come to him and go, what's going on? Why are you doing this? And Jesus says to some, this is hidden for you that I've revealed to you the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, You're interested. And Mark has that in this section. So I do think this may have been at the same time, but only Mark seems to be the one that includes it. And I've got an opinion why he might include this one uh, and some of the others don't as we get towards the end here. Now the previous parable that uh, we have in Mark chapter 4 is one that, as we said, we're familiar with. It's the parable of the sower, the soil, the seed, Uh, This is helpful in understanding the parables, as we said. If you want to understand parables, look at the context. Look at the things surrounding it. Uh, It will help you. There's only two parables that have explanation, actual official explanation. The rest you have to figure out from context. And the parable just before this has the elements of this parable, the soil, the growing seed that we have, has elements coming forward from the parable of the sower. Uh, the things with the seed and uh, the soil especially. I want us to just read this parable. It's not long. You know, I, I look at this and sometimes you, you panic because you know, it's like three verses. What are you going to say about this? Well, this one's got some things just to, to think about, so it will not be a very short night, but uh, shorter than normal probably So, uh, when it comes to the Bible study. But uh, you find the parable, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. It says this, And he, her spirit referring to Jesus, said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should uh, spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. End of statement. Now you notice that the parable starts off with this being a parable that is specifically stating this is a comparison about what the kingdom of God is like. 
Understand, we said, uh, for some of you who haven't been here recently, understand there's no difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is what Mark, or excuse me, Matthew writes out, and many people think it's because he didn't want to say the kingdom of God over and over again because the Jews were very careful about using that name, so he described it as the kingdom of heaven. All the other gospels use the kingdom of God title. It's the same thing, so they're parallel. But in this case, you have this is the parable being cast alongside this truth about the kingdom of heaven, uh, and it is going to get you a better understanding of this. You have this story that would have been familiar with uh, many of the people that lived there, being in an agricultural society mainly. And you have the, this paragraph there that says, the sower plants the seed and then rests night and day. Okay, so you get this idea. He goes out, does the broadcasting, he throws the seed wherever and uh, does that, and then he goes and rests. Now, this parable doesn't give us everything that the sower is doing. It's not that he just sleeps night and day and, and night and day and night and day and that's all he does. Uh, that would be a problem because that would have been unknown in that society. In fact, that would be a sluggard doing that that would sleep night and day. So uh, there's no elements here. It's just he throws the seed in. That's all he does. He rests. He, he can't do anything else about it. That's just kind of pointing out the fact that he can do nothing about the seed once it's in the ground. It's there and the like. He knows that the seed can grow, but he cannot explain the process. Okay, that's the, the blank there at the end. Uh, he doesn't know the process. We probably do a little bit better than they do. You know, today we get the, the you know, science videos and they have this you know, piece of dirt and the seed and you can see it in the glass and all of a sudden it, it sprouts and there's this little thing that comes out, the tap root that comes out to then figure out and get down to a water source to get more water and all of a sudden something springs out from the top of the seed and it heads for uh, the surface and suddenly breaks the surface there and you have these leaves and then eventually the fruit part of it or whatever you might have there suddenly bursts forward. We can see all of this. But really, we can't explain how and why seeds do what they do. Now, scientifically, we could say, well, they get enough moisture, and if they get enough moisture, it kind of, you know, causes them to expand inside and all of this. But we really can't explain how the seed works because sometimes you throw seed and it'll work, and other times it won't. Um, I was reading an article years ago, and I remember it uh, when we were back in 2008, they had found uh, seeds at Masada. Uh, Masada is the, the place where the Jews in AD 70, uh, right by the Dead Sea, it's this 1,500 foot high cliff that they had a fortress on that the Romans came and, and eventually wiped all the people out there that were there except for five people. Uh, it was a palace of Herod originally. Herod the Great built this, and he had this palace that actually went down the side of the cliff. You have to be at the top and then go down the different levels of the palaces and the like. But in their digging, they found seeds. They actually found date seeds. And uh, they found it in a place that was, uh, it was a pot of some kind that they had there that was covered, uh, and they realized it was about 2,000 years old. 
And uh, they actually took these seeds uh, back in 2008, 2009 and planted them. And they've now got dates from 2,000 years ago that they're eating from the seed that was planted. And you go, I'm not sure how that works, but it worked. That you could have a seed sit there dormant for 2,000 years and all of a sudden can be growing. The farmer could go, I know it's supposed to grow, and I can tell you what happens when it is growing, but how that process goes on, it was in the ground. He didn't know, really couldn't describe it. So this is part of what's going on in this story. Over time, the seed sprouts, in your notes there, takes root, brings forth blades, then has fruit. The verse says uh, the ground brings forth fruit of herself. Uh, this is a Greek word in the background that in our modern world is the word from which we get automatic. It's automate. Uh, we think of automatic doors. This is uh, something that's in the Bible. If you didn't know this, uh, you go into the grocery store and the doors opening and closing is not a new thing. Uh, this word automatic was used in the case when Peter was being released from prison in Acts chapter 12, and he's going out through past the different guards, and he's finally left to go through the last gate, and it says the door opened automate of itself. You know, you, you couldn't see any mechanism doing it, but it did it. It did it of its own accord, its own self. Well, the seed seems to come forth really of itself from the perspective of everyone else. It's a self-starting seed. And at the end, once the fruit has come forth, the plant is harvested. Okay, that's the, the end of the parable. You go, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, there's a purpose behind this. <clears throat> what you have on the back page there, the interpretation of the parable is this. The seed, if taken in the previous context, is the word in the heart. Okay, being planted in the soil of a heart. Uh, it is planted in the hearts of individuals. As you think about this, you say, what's the word? Well, in Jesus' day, he was talking uh, this way about the word of the kingdom, that he was coming and setting up a kingdom, and that was what he was going to do on earth, and then the Jews rejected him, and now it's, okay, he's preaching the same thing, but the kingdom isn't at hand. It's not close by now. It's going to be far off in the distance, but he's still preaching this, repentance and believe the good news. Good news of what? Well, you've got one who is going to come and be able to take care of the sins, allow you entry into the kingdom of heaven, uh, and Jesus is proclaiming this. Over and over again, he's proclaiming, I am the one that's the answer, and you have to believe on me. John gives us a fine examples of illustrations that he used. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's preaching this. And this is the message that Jesus even sends individuals out doing. He sends them out two by two. Uh, groups of, uh, the groups that he sends out are 70 individuals. Then he sends out his own uh, apostles, the 12, to go out two by two to do miracles, preaching the same message. And if you think about it, it's the same message that we've been preaching the last 2,000 years. Repentance from sin, turning from sin, turning to the one who is the solution, the good news, uh, Jesus. And this is the message that's gone on. So think of it this way. If we're just going from the one uh, parable to the next one, once again, the seed is just simply the word, and it's doing its work. How the word takes root and sprouts is something that only, as you have in your notes there, 
that only God can do. No amount of effort on the sower's part can do anything to make the word sprout in the soil of someone's heart. You can give the gospel to somebody and you do it the way you're supposed to in the sense of just simply declaring, you know, you offended God, you're not right with God, you've wandered from God, you need a savior, uh, one who's got a righteousness that's not your own, and you present Christ and you leave it at that. And as we saw in the parable of soils, you've got some that just doesn't even penetrate the heart, doesn't even go anywhere. You, you know that that to be the case. But you do have some that brings forth fruit. And you say, well, what's the difference there? I mean, there are soils that affect people's decision-making and, and affect their hearing of the gospel, but, but what causes that seed to have life? For that person, we would say this, for that person to be regenerated. Well, God's done a work behind the scenes. He takes man's free will, and as man's got the will to choose, he's also working behind the, the scenes, convincing men of their need of salvation. Say, what's the Spirit's work? The Spirit's work is to convince men, and John chapter 16 uh, tells us this, that God, this Holy Spirit's work is to convince men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, you know why? Because we're all sinners. You know, we've all sinned. But he lays out this evidence when he says he's convincing men of sin, that's a judicial term. You'd find it in a courtroom. You lay out evidence to gain a convincement, or we would use the word conviction. So it is that the Holy Spirit does in an individual's heart. He lays out the fact that you're a sinner. And he does this and works uh, over an individual. He convinces them of the fact that there's judgment coming, that you need to do something about this. It's not just something you can just, you know, go, okay, I can ignore this. No, there is a judgment. You're under the wrath of God, and a person senses this by the working of the Holy Spirit. But he also convinces these people of righteousness, and it's not that they have a righteousness, that they can find a righteousness in Jesus Christ, that they can be justified, uh, they can have the standing that Christ has before God, uh, that they can be given this. Uh, and the Holy Spirit does this work behind the scenes. But no amount of convincing and, and saying of words over and over and over again, you can't get a person saved. This is a work in the heart that is unexplainable, and sometimes you go, I I. I think this person is really close. Never come to Christ. You got another person who you're going, they're so far from God, but the seed's been planted, they're never going to make it. And you go, well, do you have somebody like that? Uh, how about the Apostle Paul? Remember when the Lord finally meets him on the road to Damascus? He's been a part of executions and hauling off prisoners that are followers of Jesus Christ, and he's heard the testimonies. He's heard the testimony of Stephen that we find in Acts chapter 7. And when, the, 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 when Christ meets him on that road, the resurrected Lord meets him on the Lord, he says, uh, Paul, Paul, why uh, persecutest thou me? And then he gets to the point, he says, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, the proddings of your mind and your soul. You would never take Paul as one who is even close to having life in that seed. You would say he's never going to have this, but God does a work in his life. And that seed comes forth to salvation. 
Paul makes the choice, but there's God working behind the scenes, and you're going, how did this work? It did. It worked. And so this is a reminder that there is you are responsible to sow seed. Like the, the, the first parable was saying, you sow seed, you broadcast it. Okay, that, that's spreading forth in different places that you just cast seed of the gospel, the good news. But you can't save anybody. Okay, it's, it's the soil, you allow the seed that you've thrown into the soil of the heart, you allow God to do the work behind the scenes. And the Holy Spirit can convince these people of their need of salvation. Now, you see in paragraph three there, it says this, however the sower should have the expectation that the word will have effect and eventually bring forth fruit. Or I I probably better said it because we had a discussion this morning that it will have results. Because we use that word fruit and it's like, okay, that's good things. Um, Not always. Because sometimes you present the word of God to individuals and they reject it. And you say, well, what does that bring? It brings results of judgment. I mean, think about in our discussion this morning and talking in our group this morning, think about an individual by the name of Pharaoh who's told about the one true God. And what happens in his heart? He continues to harden it, harden it, and finally God goes, okay, it's going that way and it's going to stay that way. You had your chance. You say, what's that result? It's a result, seed's been planted, he finally rejects it. But it's by his own free choice to start off with. But God's working behind the scenes. But you have other individuals where the seed's planted and you just look at this and it kind of goes uh, that you can expect the fact that it will bring forth fruit. Uh, You think about what the Old Testament says, that my word does not return unto me void, empty. It's going to do a work. And it may not be in in the sense of saving a soul, though that is the expectation. There will be a response. You know, some may get saved, but there will be others that will get that and they will just go, no, 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 we are not, you know, I'm not going that way. And it will have results. Though, and ultimately in the end, uh, for some, it will be a rejection, their own choice to reject God. Uh, There is, uh, in the end, as you see the note there, there is the end, there will be a harvest. And we haven't gotten to this parable yet, but in Matthew chapter 13, when we look at the parable of the wheat and the tares, you go, who's, who's got the responsibility of harvesting? God does. Because when you look at the story, he sends out his angels to harvest. So you look at the whole thing. The seed growing, the harvest, it's the responsibility of God. You can't, as the sower, do anything other than so, so then you go, what's the whole purpose behind it? And this is the, the parable down at the end, the two, two paragraphs at the end. This parable is designed to give comfort to the sower and the one who continues the work of the sower that the responsibility of the growth of the seed is not their responsibility or work. Okay, you, you sow the seed, you share the seed, but the growth of it is not your responsibility. 
And that's not to cast aside when a person gets saved that we don't help disciple them. Okay, that's, you're helping them to begin to understand the word even more. You have to remember what the Great Commission tells us uh, when the Lord's leaving his disciples behind to preach the message that he had. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And the idea there is to teach all nations is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, which means they come to a saving faith in Christ. Then you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. There is some responsibility for you to continue to share other parts of the word with individuals who are already saved and help them grow that way. But But when it comes to you saving people, I I remember years ago being a little frustrated because I was part of a um, church where you had individuals that you might go out and visit with uh, people and give them the gospel. You'd go out soul winning, visitation, whatever. And you'd come back and they'd be like, did you get anybody saved? Like, no, I, I didn't get anybody saved. I, I did give the plan of salvation. Like, well, we got three people saved. We got five. And, and there is a sense of, wait a second, am I some kind of failure? Did I not do something right? Or were they doing something they you know, were manipulating? I don't know. But, but there was a frustration at times because you're like, am, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing by just giving the gospel? And if there's results, there's results. If there's not results... Right then and there, am I a failure? And the answer is no. You're, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. God will do everything else. You just have to be the part that is getting the gospel out. Remember what Romans tells us, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, People can't have faith in something they've never heard. So there is a responsibility for us to be doing this, but it's encouragement to go, you know, I can rest, you know, like, the, like the, the sower, the seed's planted, but I can rest and be okay with that because there, I can't do anything with that seed. It's just, it's going to continue on its way, unseen, and God doing work behind the scenes. You find in this other paragraph, it says this, the parallel of this teaching is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. That's the blank, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 8. And I want you to turn over to this passage. You have to remember what's going on in the church at Corinth and why the Apostle Paul had to write this letter to the church at Corinth. They had a very large, a major element of the church that were trying to one-up other individuals. Say, I'm better than you are. And uh, you see the major problem in chapters 12 through 14, you had people who had the ability to speak in tongues or claiming that they had the ability to speak in tongues in some cases, and they were saying, I'm better than all of you that don't have this spiritual gift. I've got a higher spiritual position. You see, at the beginning of the book, one of the things that they're doing in order to try and impress others around them is they take up speakers that they like, individuals that had come through the ministry there. Uh, Some would say, I am of Paul. Paul the theologian, and and he's this one who's giving all these deep thoughts and whatever else, and he's the one who actually came here first, and so we're of Paul. And there's another group that goes, we're of Cephas. 
Who's Cephas? Peter. Yeah, hey, I, I'm of Peter, you know, kind of like him. He's a little bit more rough, you know, he's emotional, he's, he's a man of the people as he preaches, you know, you can kind of understand him because he's kind of coming. I'm of Peter. You got another group that says, I'm of Apollos. And for us, most of the time, we're not sure who Apollos is. You look at Acts chapter 18. He's a, a man who's been trained in skill, skilled uh, learning, but he's an orator. He's a person who can speak. He's been trained in this, and he knows how to speak. And so you have people in that congregation that have been influenced and impacted by Apollos' ministry as he comes through in Acts chapter 18. And they go, well, I'm of Apollos. And then you have the last group that's going, huh, you know what? I'm, I'm going I'm to be better than all of you. I'm of Christ. Ha! You know, and it's not that I'm a follower of Christ. It's well, you people have taken this. I have Christ, so I'm better than you because I have Christ. And it's not a good thing when Paul is making that statement that they're claiming I'm of Christ. And Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where he simply says there's no difference between any of our work. Start off in verse number, excuse me, verse number 4. Paul says this, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are ye not carnal? Saying, are you not being fleshly and trying to prove things by your arguments here of who you're following and you're saying, I'm better than somebody else because I do this? Are you not sinners? <laughs> Acting like sinful people? Have disputes and fights? Verse 5, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? Well, here's the answer. They're but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Saying, some of you got saved by the ministry of myself. Paul, coming in here initially, you got saved. After I gave you the gospel, you came to Christ. And Apollos came along later, and some of you got saved under his ministry. You heard his preaching, and you began to understand the good news, and suddenly uh, you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You put your faith in him. But verse 6, he says this, I have planted, Apollos watered, but what's the final statement there? But God gave the increase. He's using, he's giving these terms that are in this uh, parable of growing, planting, watering, and the increase. Verse 7, so then neither he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Every one shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Paul said, it may have been this way, that I gave the gospel initially, Apollos comes along and he's just adding your, to your understanding of what the gospel is and you eventually get saved. God's the one that gave the increase. God's the one that, that worked in your life and got you to the point where you finally said, okay, I'm gonna get saved. I need this one. The Holy Spirit's done its convincing work. But at the end he says this, what are we gonna get rewarded for? our labor. Not, not, not how people respond. Not how, you know, how many people respond or uh, how this. It's whether or not you're laboring like you're supposed to in your field. Amen. 
whether or not you're doing the work of just planting the seed, giving the gospel, you're doing that at the people that you have connections, you come across, and you're, you're sharing that by life, by word, by actions. And you're doing this. Uh, you get rewarded one day this way. And then you have this statement in verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. Okay, you go, how am I a laborer together with God? I'm doing the sowing of the seed. God's doing the work behind the scenes in the heart using the word that's there. But then he says, ye are his hus- God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And he goes into this whole statement of you know, the, the building of the church, Okay, he describes the church as a building. He describes it as a field and that there's a work going on and growing going on in the church. Uh, and then you have this building that's being structured out of different things. Uh, and it's based on uh, God's working behind the scenes, but you have people that are working there with God as a part of building this. At the end, you have this statement that says this, God does the work in the individual Okay, that's the one blank that's there. God does the work in the individual's life. You cast out the seed, but he, he is the one who does the convincing. But he's also the one that builds his church. Okay, you plant the seed in an individual's life, but that has a part in building God's church, and he's the one that's building his church. And I will say this, God is the one working towards his kingdom, Understand, the church is not the kingdom. Okay, when we talk about these kingdom parables, we're talking about something that is yet future where Jesus is going to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. And then follow that with the eternal uh, heavens and the new earth that we have that uh, are there after the thousand years. But what he is doing is he's building towards the kingdom time. Now, there's going to be seven years of disaster for the tribulation that you have in between all of this, but in that time, you're still going to have people that are giving the gospel during the time of the tribulation so that when finally the Lord comes back and he establishes his kingdom, the gospel's been continuously cast out by individuals so that when that kingdom starts, there's people there that are part of that kingdom physically going directly into that kingdom enjoying that uh, time frame there uh, along with all the saints that are in glory, uh, enjoying uh, that time period here on earth. So the Lord's the one that does all of this work. So it's, it's an encouragement in some ways when you are frustrated because you, you know, aren't seeing what you think is responses from people and uh, that they are getting saved. If you're doing your work, you'll be rewarded according to your labor, not necessarily the results. And so if you think of it that way, this is designed to be a comfort. You're working together with God, but the results don't depend on you. You're just the one doing what you're called to do, is to go out as the Great Commission uh, calls us to do, and to share and be the light and the sower of seed, uh, and that's our goal. Any questions on that? Any thoughts? We had good discussion this morning, but answered some of them. Yes, ma'am. Um, the last point about the kingdom, sometimes you hear um, preachers or something talking about kingdom living. Mm-hmm. But I think they're talking about more of the here and now, 
Yeah, you do have a, a segment of uh, church society that believe, you know, you're living kingdom now, uh, and you're kind of, you're trying to, to, to make this kingdom like the kingdom of heaven, and the answer is, you're not going to. Uh, do I live like I'm a part of the kingdom of heaven? Yeah. I mean, you read Matthew 5 through uh, 7 where you have the Sermon on the Mount and this is how the citizens of the kingdom of heaven act. Well, it's not any different than a Christian acts. Um, but there, are, there is an element of people that are going, yeah, okay, we're, we're trying to you know, live the kingdom now out and you're going, kingdom's not coming for at least seven years. The tribulation yet, but um, yeah. But the Lord's working towards that and he'll get it there uh, when it happens. Yes, ma'am. This harvest. He's the one who harvests. Okay, we're, we're not the one in the end, and I, I'll understand this way, when we get to that parable of the tares next week, that harvest at the end is A, there's two harvests that happen. Lord comes back and he has this dividing line where he comes back at his second coming. There are certain people that physically get to go directly into the kingdom, and the others that don't believe on him, they for a thousand years are in hell. They aren't a part of that. But then you get to the end of the kingdom and you have all sorts of people who are born in that kingdom time. And once again, you have a judgment where there's a separation from those that truly believe in Jesus Christ and those that have just been enjoying the blessings of living in that kingdom all that time, but they're fraud. And the only way, the only person that can distinguish between the two is God himself who says, these are going to stand before the great white throne judgment. These other ones are entering directly into heaven, joining the first resurrection. And so you do have that kind of harvest, the splitting up that we can't do. 